I want to share, several people have been asking about our trip. Some of you that follow us on Facebook, you saw some of the places that we went, and uh, we had just an awesome and incredible time. We're trying to figure out a format where we may be able to share some of those things with those who are interested. And, uh, but you know, I think that the trip that we had could have been maybe a little bit better, and, and I really don't fully understand why. I just, I just know that you know, when, when we left the house and we drove to the airport, we flew out of Gulfport, that, that as soon as we pulled up to the, to, the, to the airport, I jumped out, grabbed my bag, and ran into the desk. I don't know where Twyla was. I turned around, and here she came with her bag sometime later. And, you know, when we got over there, they, had, they served us buffet breakfast and buffet dinner. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And every meal, I just jumped up and ran to the buffet. I don't know where Twyla was. She was at the table or something. I don't know. But I just ran up there and got my food, and I ate it up. And whenever we pulled up to a site, I just jumped off the bus, ran outside. And Twyla had to get all of her stuff and kind of manage getting down the steps and getting there. I don't know where, I don't know where she was, really. I, just, I was just having a great time, just taking pictures and enjoying myself. And we got ready to go on the plane. As soon as they called the plane, I just shot on the plane. I don't know where Twyla was. She was back in the waiting area again. How many of you know I'm kidding right now? In fact, let me, let, me, let me just tell you something right now. I'm not real handy around the house. I have 11 thumbs. Something breaks, I'm on the phone. Hey, this broke. How do I fix it? And so I make up for it when we travel. I do everything, brother. My wife doesn't have to think about anything. She, I've got her boarding pad. I've got her suitcase. She go, I make sure she goes on. If, if we're going somewhere, she goes first. Unless we're going down steps, then I go down first. And she leans on my shoulder. We go down the steps together. Everything that we do. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? If you don't know why I need to do that, have a talk with your wife when you get home and you'll find out. The reason is because when you honor someone, they go first. The first is a sign of honor. It says, you're important to me. I value you. So when we come up to the door, I open the door and I have you going first. Gentlemen, when you go out to the, your car today, you don't need to just jump in the car and honk the horn. Or, Where's my where is she? She's talking again. Come on, woman. You need to go around the other side of the door and open it. Then when you pick her up off the concrete, because she fainted, she can't believe it, sit her in the seat, close the door. Honey, you're first. Where do you want to eat? This is the way that conversation goes. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. How about Olive Garden? No, I don't like that. How about Logan's? No. How about Nukes? No. I thought you didn't care. Well, but you just put her first, gentlemen. Why? Because the first represents honor. You see, our wives have this expectation, rightly, that we're going to put them first to signify their value to us. And I'm going to tell you, man, you, you want to have a great life. You want a happy wife. That's one of the ways to do it. 
That, hey, I value, I, you know, it's just, it doesn't just that, you know, back on December the 10th, 1988, I didn't just stand there and just commit to you, so I just had this ball and chain kind of thing, and we're just, no. I value, you are God's gift to me. I value you. You are important in my life, and I want you to know that. And so I'm going to demonstrate it with my life. Now, we understand that in the marriage context. I just want to ask you today, do, you, do we really understand that in our relationship with God? Because I'm going to tell you something. God is an awesome God who deserves our honor. In fact, Revelation 5.13, listen to what the Bible says about God. Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lord, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Can I tell you something? God is a big God. He is an awesome God. He's an incredible God. We don't ever need to forget that though he calls us friend, it's not that I call God friend, he calls me friend. But though he is my friend, I never want to forget that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That he is God Almighty, and he deserves my honor. And he deserves the value that I can bring to him. And so when we first come to know the Lord, we're not, maybe not able to grasp how great and how awesome he is, but the more we get to know him and worship him and rely on him and find out how glorious and powerful and awesome that he is, that should become in our hearts a sign that we are now going to honor him. You know, if, if, if I were to, to call you up in, in the afternoon and say, listen, tonight after, after the evening, this, this evening, Governor Phil Bryant is going to be at your house. You're going to host him for a meal. How many of you would go, oh, don't worry, Pastor, I got some leftover pizza. I'm just going to heat it up. I'm going to get a few bottles of water, and I got a bag of cookies, and I'm ready for the governor to come sit at my table. No, you wouldn't, would you? No leftovers for him. As a matter of fact, you're going to get out the recipe of your best meal or you're going to order out at the best restaurant. And, but you're going to have something there that is fitting for someone of his position. And you see, the Bible teaches us the same thing about God. It teaches us this idea that, that he should really be getting our best. We're in this series called A Culture of Honor. And what it means to honor. And we talked about honoring the Lord. We talked about honoring the next generation last week. I, I, I got some feedback that Christian did a great job preaching uh, last Sunday to you. And I appreciate him taking time to minister to us. But we find this instruction in the Bible about the Lord. That God owns everything, but he's made us the steward of these things. So, now the Bible teaches us that the first of everything that we have, it belongs to the Lord. The first of everything that God has given us. You see, we want to put Him first. He wants us to return it to Him as a demonstration of the love and the honor and the value and the trust that we have in Him. Now, why should we do that? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of, couple of points today in this sermon. We're going to be talking about the culture of giving, or the honor of giving today in this series. But why should we? What does the Bible say about this idea that, that God owns everything and that I am to give Him 
back the first, and I'm the steward of it, and I'm to give him back the first. So number one, in the Bible, it is a matter of principle. It is a principle from God's Word. If you want your life to be blessed, you want to have the presence of God and the work of God in your life, you must live your life by the principles of God's Word. That's how you, you position yourself to receive. That's how you position yourself to be in God's presence. You see, just as when I put my wife first, it does something significant in our relationship. You ought to hear her bragging on me to people about how I take care of her when she travels. It does something significant in our relationship. It does something significant in your relationship with God. And, and when we bless the Lord, the Lord says, those that honor me, I will honor that when you make that decision, this is what you're going to do, then the blessing of the Lord begins to come on your life in a very real way. Look at what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Look at what it says. Then your barns will be full, and your wine barrels will overflow with new wine. Now, some people reject the idea, some Christians reject the idea of the tithe because they say, well, pastor, you know, that's old covenant. And that is, that's in the law, and so we're not required to do that. We've been set free from the law. And the Bible does say that the law has been done away with in terms of righteousness. What does that mean? It means that you will not be righteous before God for doing anything related to the law. You can't keep the law. And, and expect to fulfill righteousness. So it's been done away in terms of righteousness. Now why are we righteous? Because we believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, the Holy Spirit, the fact that He died on the cross for our sins, and He washes us white as snow. That's what cleanses us. But you see, what we don't understand sometimes is that tithing is a principle that we find throughout the Old Testament, not just in the law, but it's the principle of the first. That God says, I want there always to be a first that comes from you, that shows that you honor me, that, Lord, this is yours. I want to honor you with the first. And when you do that, then it brings this blessing upon your life. God says, when you do that, I will honor you. And we find it, listen, not just in the law, we find it all the way back in the book of Genesis. You can find almost every major doctrine of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Did you know that? And we find in Genesis chapter 4, 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen for you. The Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. I want you to look at this. Most of us know the story. Many of us know the story of Cain and Abel and, and their offering. And we wonder, how come Abel's offering was received? Well, I want to tell you why. Because Cain just thought, I can bring whatever I want, whenever I want, to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, brought some of the first fruits of his flocks. In other words, he said, I'm going to bring the first to God. And the Bible says God looked with with, with favor on Abel's offering. So we see the first fruits right here in Genesis. Then in Genesis 22, verse 2, remember this? God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. By the way, I stood on Mount Moriah last week. Pretty cool. But God says to Abraham, this is your first. And you must offer your first to me. 
And we know that Abraham had drawn this, his, his knife back and was ready to slay Isaac when the angel of the Lord said, stop. You had it in your heart to do this. But this was a sign. You know what that was? That was a prophetic sign that our God, who so loved the world, would give his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So way back in Genesis, God was already doing that. You see how the first plays such an important part in the life of a believer, in the life of our faith? Because God says to Abraham, I want you to take your first, your, only, your firstborn son, your only son. I want you to take him to this mountain and I want you to offer him unto me. Then Joshua 6 and verse 19, as the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the land and they come into the land, the Lord says Jericho is going to be the first city that you're going to take. But when you get into there, verse 6 and 19 says, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. In other words, God said, this is the first city you're going to take. And Joshua ultimately conquered 31 kings when he went into the promised land. But the first one, God said, that's mine. Don't touch any of it. It's holy. What was God saying? I want you to understand this principle of honor, this principle of value, this principle that I am to be the one that you honor with the very first part of all your substance. Everything that I've given to you, say, first, Lord, I come to you. Why do we do that? Because I want you to know, God, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have any of this other stuff. I want you to know, God, that I honor you because I recognize that I was headed for hell. I was on a road to eternal destruction, but God, in his mercy, reached down and saved me. And so he deserves the value that I need to give him and the honor that I need to give him by presenting my first to the Lord. This next story is so powerful, so incredibly powerful that it it moves our heart. It's in 1 Kings 17. I'm going to take a little time to read it to you. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him. This is the prophet Elisha. Go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread as surely as the Lord your God lives she replied I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die when you go to Israel you understand how important rain is because there's wilderness and desert everywhere this is in a time when it didn't rain for three and a half years nobody had water Nobody had food, and the prophet has the audacity to ask for a glass of water and then for a cake of bread. But God had already said, I have provided a widow there. She's going to take care of you. Come on, somebody. Verse 12, as sure as the Lord lives, I already read that. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. When do you do this? First. When was that? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on a minute. Now, wait a minute. I have enough flour here to make a meal for me and my son. Lord have mercy. The audacity of this prophet. First, make me a loaf of bread. 
For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I want you to think with me for a minute about the level of trust it took for this woman to bake the last bit of bread that she had, take it out of the mouth of her son and give it to the prophet. I want you to think about the level of trust that it took. You see, giving God the first is really an issue of trust. Because people may say, you may say, Pastor, you just don't understand. I can't afford to take 10% of what, I get, of what I make and give it to the Lord because I don't think I can make it. You know what? It takes an element of trust. It requires me to say, you know what, I believe the word of God that God is my provider. This is what the Lord said. And I believe that the Lord said, if you will, if you will give me the tithe, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and I will pour out a blessing upon you that you will not have room enough to contain it. And because I believe that, Lord, I trust you, and I'm willing to say, God, I want to give you the first. I want to give you my best. I'm going to give you this tenth, this tithe. I'm going to bring it to you, and then I believe that you're going to take care of me. I wish today I had time to parade the people across this platform who have lost jobs, and God took care of them because they were tithers. I wish I could tell you the number of times that people have said to me, Pastor, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I opened the mailbox, and there was a check in there. I wish I could tell you the number of times in our own church that because we tithe the tithe that we went through Katrina and completely redid our building and never had to borrow a dime because our God is faithful and he will honor those who honor him now, can I tell you something there's nowhere else in the Bible where God says test me but in Malachi chapter 3 he says test me in this and see if I will not do it that God said if you'll honor me I will honor you. And I want you to see the demonstration of trust that she had. That such a powerful demonstration of her trust in God. Does it really belong to the Lord? Does that 10% really belong to the Lord? Can I tell you something about the Bible that you may not know? The Bible never uses the word give when it's talking about the tithe. It always says bring or return. Why? You can't give somebody something they already own. It is the Lord's. Now let's just suppose that Christian, and he had the honor and privilege of driving my truck while I was in, in Israel. That's a great honor to drive the F-150. <laughs> let's just suppose that when, when I got home, he said, Dad, you know, I've been thinking about it. He gets my keys out and he goes, I think I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real generous. I'm going to give you this truck. Say, boy, you done lost your mind. That is my truck. It's my truck before I left. It's still my truck. My name is on the loan. You see, sometimes don't we react that way? Well, I'm going to give God the tithe. No, I'm going to return it to Him. It's already His. I'm going to bring the tithe. And the Bible says that you bring it, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse or into the place where you worship. 
that there may be food in my house. In other words, tithing is an act of worship that we bring to the place of worship. So I don't tithe to a television ministry or to a radio ministry or to an internet ministry. I tithe in the place where I'm fed by God because that's where the meat of God's house is brought forth. I don't tithe by giving to a charity because charities can be wonderful, but my tithe is to bring about eternal results, and I want people to hear the message of Jesus Christ through my giving. And so it comes into the house of the Lord that there may be meat in the house of God so that what is needed may be provided. And you see, that's really the, the, it's a matter of principle, but secondly, really, it's a matter of worship. It's a matter of worship. We honor the Lord when we give Him the first. We receive, when we receive our offerings here, what we say in our, to our congregation is, if you're a guest, this is not for you. We want you just to relax and not have to worry about giving today. This is for our Cedar Lake home folks, our Cedar Lake family, because this is an act of worship that we want to give as unto the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what, every, almost every week we say, God loves a cheerful giver because it is an act of worship that says, God, I'm so grateful to you. I'm happy to bring back what belongs to you. And to bring an offering above and beyond that because you have blessed me and because I love you. It's not a grind of a have to. I remember many, many years ago when Twilight and I first got married, you know, occasionally she would like drop a hint about, why don't you do the dishes? And I remember sometimes I would get up and go and do the dishes and I was like, I don't want to do these dishes. I know none of you ever do this. The only people that do this are the second service, but sometimes I'd be in there and I'm doing them. I ain't happy about it. And sometimes I want to let her know I'm happy about it. So I'd slam that pot, pot down. So what do you think she finally said? If you don't want to do it, don't just don't do it. Don't do it at all. I mean, if you're going to do it with that kind of attitude, it's, it's a stinky attitude. I would rather just do it myself than to have to deal with you acting like that around the house. Anybody relate to what I'm talking to? Well, you know something? If you're going to give to God, it's going to be like... Ugh. The Bible says I have to. Just, just put it on the altar. And that's the way some people view tithing. They think, well, you know, it's, a, it's I have to. Let me tell you something. It's a principle of God's Word that will bring blessing on your life, but it's to be done as an act of worship. God loves a cheerful giver. As a matter of fact, the Bible says do not give out of compulsion. That's one of the reasons that we don't bring you to a crescendo of emotional movement and then ask you, give, you know, hold on to your wallet because we're going to try to squeeze it out of you. That's not even biblical. I said that's not biblical. If you go to a meeting and they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to, to, to get you to a point where you're just, you know, you're so emotionally moved that you have to give, get up and walk out. Because the Bible says, do not give under compulsion. Let every man as he's determined in his heart, so let him give. 
For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, I've made the decision. This is what I'm going to do. And so I enjoy doing it. That's why I'm preaching on this now. you got six weeks until the beginning of the year. I'm encouraging you to start thinking now about what you're going to do as far as giving, bringing the Lord the tithe in 2017, giving in offerings in 2017, because why? I want you to be blessed. Say, no, preacher, you know, I know God needs my money. Oh, I'm sorry to tell you this. Streets of heaven are paved with gold. You know what you use for pavement? The cheapest thing you can find. Gold's the cheapest thing you got in heaven. So I don't think God's sitting there going, Oh, if they don't tithe, we won't make it. Neither is God twisting your arm. He said, Hey, here's my principle. This is what I, this is what I have for you. Now, I love you, and I want you to know if you honor me, I'll honor you. And if you love me back, do it with a cheerful heart. And say, this is what I want to do. So I'm not up here today trying to, to, to move you to some emotional fervor so that you go, okay, Pastor, yes, you know, I give, I give, Uncle, I'll give. Now I want you to think about this and pray about this because I want this to be a regular part of your life so that you will get under the floodgates of God's blessing. You know, giving really is such a demonstration of love. I heard Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback Church in, in, uh, in California, talk about when he was eight years old, he bought his mom a dress. He found it at a used clothing store. It cost him a quarter. So you can imagine how lovely this dress was. And he gave her that dress. After she passed away, he was at her house, and she had a chest full of some precious things that she had. He opened that chest and he found that dress he'd bought for her when he was eight years old. She kept it her entire life as a precious thing. You know why? Because he had given it. All he had was a quarter, but he gave it out of a heart of love. And I'm telling you something. When you bless the Lord, it does something in his heart. It's an act of worship. It's saying, God, I love you. I honor you. And I believe it just does something that draws you to the heart of God. It's a matter of worship, and then it is a matter of reward. Now, let me just say something. We don't give to get. We give to give. Everybody say we give to give. We don't give to get. But the Bible tells us that when we have this right kind of attitude in worshiping God, that then God's going to open up and he's going to bless us back. How do we know that? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Vermin are like rats, okay? And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now notice what the Lord said. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be. You know something, I, I really, today I could care less about Microsoft stock. I don't care if it goes up, goes down, if they sell the company, it doesn't make any difference to me. I could care less. But if tomorrow I invest $10,000 in Microsoft, how many of you know I'm going to be watching the company? 
How many of you I'm going to want to know if they're being managed right, if they're making money? Why? Because all of a sudden where I put my treasure, my heart is. How many of you know that when you give to the Lord, it draws you closer to Him? That now you have brought your treasure, you've made an investment, and it actually makes a difference in how you view your relationship with God. And then actually, you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here, here, here's the idea. Let me tell you something. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. Did you hear that? You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. I just suppose today that I had a white rope up here that was about 50 feet long. That just reached way over, all the way over there to that wall over there. And on this end of that white rope, I had some duct tape that was about a half an inch long. That duct tape would represent this life right now. This life. And you would say to me, Pastor, aren't you concerned about, you know, retirement and your kids' college and all that? Aren't you concerned and, and everything that's coming up and all the stuff that, and what you need in this life? Aren't you concerned? Well, yeah, a little bit. But that's this life. All the rest of that rope is eternity. And so what I want to do is store up for myself treasures in heaven. I can have a beautiful home while I live here on the earth, but one of these days I'm going and it's going to stay here. Somebody else is going to live in it. I hate to think about it. Somebody else is going to get my truck one of these days. I hate to think about that. But it's gone. I'm like, I got news for you. It don't matter if Alabama wins the national championship. We're leaving them all here. Whatever championship they get, it's going to burn up someday. All that stuff is temporary. But I'm going to tell you something. What, what, we, what we send on up is eternal. I want to send up some building materials for a mansion. In the, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Paul said that we are laboring for a crown. He said, therefore, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. Woo, I want a big crown. I want a big one. You know why I want a big crown? I just imagine about what's going to happen when I see Jesus. Just think about that moment with me for a second. We get really caught up in this, in this world. Let's think about it for a minute. You can just imagine it a thousand ways. I know some people imagine he's going to be on the throne. I, I, I just kind of imagine it. I, I'll just be in the city and in some, some way I'll just, I'll just walk around the corner and, and Jesus is going to be standing there. And his eyes will catch my eyes. And he's going to walk up to me and I'm going to be looking at the person. The one who redeemed my life. I'm going to tell you, when we stand on Judgment Day and we watch those people go into eternal damnation. All we're going to want to do the rest of eternity is thank God. And I can just imagine Jesus walking up to me and saying, I've been waiting for this. 
He's going to reach behind him. He's going to get a crown. And depending on what I've done in this life to build his kingdom, that's how big that crown is going to be. You know why I want it to be big? Because he's going to try to put it on my head, but I'm not going to let him. He's going to try to push it on my head, but I'm going to push it back. And if he does get it onto my head, I'm just going to take it off and I'm going to cast it at his feet because I'm going to say, Jesus, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have any of that today. This crown belongs to you. We crown him with many crowns. And I don't want to get there on that day having lived this life for myself, having built bigger barns and done more for me and tried to make it in my life without building that and have a little bitty crown and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, this is all I have to give you. No, I want one that's going to be massive because I spent my time sending up building materials into the next world. I've said, Lord, I am not living this life unto myself. I live this life as unto you. You are my God and you are my king. And I want to honor you and lift you up. And on that day, it's all going to be worth it because I will have blessed him Jim Elliott some of you will recognize the name he was a missionary to some unreached tribes in South Africa and South America one day the tribes were afraid of him and they killed him he was martyred for his faith Sometime after that, they found his diary, and they opened his diary, and he had written in his diary this statement that's become a foundational statement for many in the body of Christ. He died for his faith, but in his diary he wrote these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. Jesus said when you lose your life, that's when you're going to find it. I want us just to bow our heads together today because you may be in this place, you may say, you know what, Pastor, before I can even think about honoring the Lord or giving to God, I need to first recognize I need a personal relationship with Him. I don't know where you are today in your relationship with God, but I just want to say this, you're not here by accident You're here this morning by divine appointment. God brought you here to this place because He really loves you. He really, really does. And He has an incredible plan for your life. And your life will never make sense until you turn it over to the one who created you. Already this year, several hundred people have made decisions to follow Jesus in our services. Would you join them today? Because the most important person that needs to make that decision is you today. You are important to God. You are so valuable to Him that He gave His only begotten Son. Maybe you've been around church and around religious things, but you've never had a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you know about God, but you don't know God. Something's happened in your heart today as you've been in this service and and you've been listening and you've been watching the worship and the things that have been going on and you've thought, I really need a personal relationship with Christ. Then today I want to pray with you. Or maybe you need to come back to Christ. Say, Pastor, there's a time when I knew the Lord, but today I'm away from God and I, I need to come back to Christ. I need to recommit my life to Him. Then I want to pray with you as well.